we're going to go ahead and uh, open up the scriptures together. So um, I, we're going to start by having the scriptures read, and then uh, Evan is going to be uh, teaching us this morning. Uh, so this morning we're in John eight forty-eight through 59. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am, not demon, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham did and so did the prophet, or died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know, or but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Well, let's, uh, let's open up with prayer, and then uh, we'll get into the teaching. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for a morning where we can come and worship you, uh, behold you, see you for who you are, and um, we trust you uh, in the working of your spirit that you will cause uh, your words of life to resonate with each of us uh, uniquely in accordance with your truth. Uh, our prayer is that you would be praised. Amen. Gaius Julius Caesar was born around 100 BC at the time where the Greco-Roman world was poorly governed by the Roman governing class, resulting in numerous revolts against Roman nobility. The Mediterranean world could have been described as anarchy. By 63 BC, he had established himself as a controversial political and military figure, and following the conquest of Gaul, Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon and initiated the Roman Civil War, ending the Roman ruling class and establishing a dictatorship that lasted until his assassination in 44 BC. After a struggle for power, a 19-year-old Octavian seized imperial power and the title Augustus. From this time forward until his death, four decades later, he brought peace and prosperity never before realized to the Greco-Roman world. Propaganda of his time reads, quote, Providence, which has regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection by giving to us Augustus who being sent to us and our descendants as savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And having become God, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. His birth 
was the beginning of the good news, the euangelion for the world, end quote. At the same time, in Judea, a man named Athrongus and his four brothers would vehemently disagree that Augustus was savior or that his rule was good news or that he fulfilled all hopes. Like many Jews, he awaited the salvation that equated to freedom for Yahweh's people from the hands of tyrants like Augustus. In 4 BC, Herod the Great died and his successor, Herod Archelaus, took the throne. Seizing the opportunity, this tall and charismatic shepherd, Athrongus, known for his great stature and feats of strength, revolted. He claimed the Judean throne, proclaiming himself a Messiah. He and his brothers, with his aspirational messianic kingdom, were defeated within two short years. It is into this world of men claiming to be saviors and gods steps Jesus of Nazareth. Who do you think you are? They exclaimed. Jesus' scandalous claims had been mounting and mounting and had reached a tipping point. In chapter 8 alone, as we've discussed over the past couple weeks, John records that Jesus claimed that he was the Son of Man, that he was the one who really knew the Father. Matt discussed last week Jesus' claims that the Jews present were actually children of the devil, not children of the Father. And then here he is making another statement, claiming that his followers would never taste death. Who do you think you are? So let's look back in chapter 8, uh, verses 48 through 59. Uh, a couple of the verses will flash up on the screen uh, at this exchange between Jew Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries. Throughout the course of chapter 8, we see the Jews on one hand claiming who they think they are and then who they think Jesus is, and then Jesus' rebuttal saying, no, this is who you actually are, and this is actually who I am. We read starting in verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Essentially saying, well, your testimony is not valid because first, you're not even a Jew, right? You're one of those mudblood Samaritans whose opinion doesn't hold water. Oh, and not to mention you're mentally insane and you're not of right mind. To which Jesus replies, no, you're wrong. And it is, not, uh, it is you who doesn't know what you're talking about. Then he delivers the line that really gets them hot and bothered. He says in verse 51, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? What, are you greater than Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Skipping down to verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not even 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? You can hear them scoffing. Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, which is Jesus for, listen very carefully. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. 
In the midst of Jewish monotheism, Jesus does the unthinkable by claiming that he is God. Within the surrounding Greco-Roman pantheistic worship, there was mental shelf space for an Augustus to claim himself as a deity. But the Jewish people were unique across the entire known world. The only people who adamantly stated that Yahweh was the creator and the sole and sovereign ruler of all things. It is he alone that was very exclusively to be worshipped. In this context, Jesus claims himself to be the sufficient I am that I am that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. It is here that John relays one of seven absolute I am statements in his gospel account, clearly implying that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, asserting that he shared in the identity of Yahweh, the God confessed in the Shema. In Deuteronomy, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. For a people whose God had revealed himself through acts of rescue and salvation, Jesus was claiming himself as Yahweh's next great act on behalf of his people. And the Jewish people were ticked. They tried to stone him. It's not the first time, even in John's gospel account, and it's not the last time. And although they didn't succeed, it was claims like this one that added fuel to the already roaring fire of rage that eventually got Jesus killed. So here we are discussing in our present day the relevance of a man 2,000 years ago who made assertive claims, was killed for them, and whose movement has dominated and revolutionized the world since. So what? Augustus was a proclaimed savior, the hope fulfilled, God, and his kingdom, it was the euangelion. It was the good news. Well, he died in 14 AD, and the kingdom that he initiated, the great Roman Empire, fell in 476. Athrongus, he seized the Judean throne, aspired to and proclaimed a messianic kingdom, but he was subdued just two short years later. Two men within a long list throughout human history that have claimed divinity, salvation, and a hope fulfilled. Strong claims. Jesus also made strong claims. So why do we believe that he has a credible claim to lordship and God today? Simply stated, it's because of what we celebrated about a month ago. The resurrection. Like many before him, he died. He was killed because of his claims. But it is the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the revolution that turned the world upside down that demands not only our attention, but a response, a decision on our part. Philip Yancey says this, In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. And if we believe this, that he is alive and loose in the world, then it changes us. It changes the way that we live, or, or it ought to at least. Um, and perhaps that's a good question for us to ask this morning. 
Do I actually believe the fullness of who Jesus says he is? Do I actually live in light of that? Does all of life reflect these stunning truth claims he made? To reiterate what Matt stated last week, the way we live will, re- will reveal what we actually believe. Jesus made claims of divine authority and said that those who trust him, who follow him, and obey him will never experience death. They will enter into his everlasting kingdom. I say that I believe both of those things, that I trust him when he says all this, but on a daily basis, do I put my money where my mouth is? Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. If I am honest and I look at the fruit of my life, I can lament that too often my life looks like it looks like one that is more about me than about him or his kingdom. Do I believe that Jesus is Lord in a way that Augustus could never be? Do I believe that the tomb is empty? Truly? Or do I just nod at Christian doctrine and then continue to live a self-centered life? Robert Mulholland Jr. describes the self-centered life in these words. It is a self-referential system. It competes out of fear for self-preservation. It manipulates everything for itself. And this radically unrooted and insecure self is self-promoting and indulgent and must distinguish itself from others. This bleeds out into the world and produces matrices of fear, self-preservation, and disintegration of others in the deconstruction of the sacred order. Without Jesus being the one who can make good on his claim that he is Yahweh's great act of redemption and that his followers have access right now and forever to the kingdom of abundant life, then it all falls on me. Come to me, I will give you rest. This is what Jesus says, and I need it. I need it to be true. Only he delivers us up from the crushing weight that one, we are God, that life centers itself on us, and that this life is all we got with no hope for eternity, so we better seize the day. These things are presented to us as freedom, but they become a crushing weight of slavery. John Tyson says this, Jesus has the audacity to claim that he is God. Only in Jesus do you get the combination of deity and humility. He is the only one big enough to sustain being at the center, yet create a kingdom of love and peace and servanthood. Dallas Willard reiterates the reality then for us, his followers, saying, When we live in the shepherd's sufficiency and we die to ourselves, we become the most firmly established people in the world. The invitation of Jesus in his kingdom is to lean into him, to rest on him. In him, he promises that I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. 
We cannot do it dependent on ourselves, nor were we meant to. Despite loud voices, uh, voices telling us that we have progressed as a species and no longer need God, the rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide tell a different story. Jesus again lays out the invitation in Matthew chapter 11. With a paraphrase from the message, it reads, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I was going to pause anyways at this point, but it's just, I guess, naturally so. To conclude our time together, we want to make space to invite the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Uh, Nick and Brooke can come on back up. And what we will do is uh, we have two prompts for you to consider, and we'll consider these as they um, uh, begins kind of starting the worship that we'll conclude with this afternoon. Uh, the two prompts for us to consider as we have time of silence and prayer are these. First, confess where we are trying to be God. Many of us do not believe what Jesus says is true about him and what is true about us. That manifests itself uniquely in each of our lives. By us telling the truth, we drag the darkness into the light so that it can be exposed. And then secondly, Let's surrender those areas in prayer. Ask Jesus to remind us who he is, about who we are because of him, and what the implications are for each of our lives.